Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, everybody. Luke O'Neill here, and welcome to my Show Me the Science podcast. This week, a request. So I'm delighted people are asking me to cover different topics. I got about one a week at the moment, and, I, and and people often come up to me, not often, occasionally, and say, oh, I'm listening to your podcast, and I love that. It's great to hear that, because obviously I'm doing this for to, to, to inform people and get people interested in what I'm talking about. And this week is a request to do multiple sclerosis, that disease. And when it came in, um, I know an awful lot about MS, because it's an inflammatory disease, an autoimmune disease. So it's right up my street as an immunologist. I've, I've been studying MS for 30 years, actually, in various ways. I never worked on it directly. Although we do have MS models in mice that we sometimes test new anti-inflammatories in, so I've done a bit of that. Uh, and lots of labs all over the world work on MS. It's a very important disease. And this week, literally, uh, there's been a bit of a breakthrough in terms of where it came from, which I'm going to come on to at the end. So when the request came in, I thought, oh, I'll cover that and I'll, I'll mention the latest stuff because I do like to talk about the latest discoveries. But let's begin with a few definitions. It's an autoimmune disease in which the insulating covers over nerve cells in your brain and spinal cord are damaged by the immune system. And that's the bog standard textbook definition. Now autoimmune, as any listeners who listen to me regularly would know, because I've, I've done other autoimmune diseases, that's where your own immune system decides to attack your own tissues. And we still don't know why. Now, incredibly with MS, we have an idea, which I'll come on to. And it was a big breakthrough in 2022, actually. So Epstein-Barr virus might be triggering the immune system to go out of control and then start attacking this insulating substance. That it's called myelin. Myelin is a bit like your insulation over nerves. And the immune system eats it up, basically. Now, you can imagine if you have an electrical cable and you get rid of all the insulating stuff over it, it'll short circuit. And that's exactly what happens in MS. The nerves are stripped of this myelin and they begin to short circuit and don't work. And of course that gives rise to the symptoms of MS. So it's things like, you know, muscle weakness because the nerves aren't firing properly, pins and needles, all the tingling is because the nerves are short circuiting, double vision because the optic nerve in your eye Remember, your eye takes in light and then the optic nerve transmits that to the brain. That starts to short circuit as well. Balance can go because, again, that part of the brain, the nerves are getting damaged. The coordination begins to go. Fatigue can be a big feature, again, because the nerves are not working properly. Based. A whole range of symptoms along those lines. And then it gets diagnosed, uh, usually when you have two very distinct symptoms. So, for example, if someone has double vision and say weakness that's going to be a sign because two different parts of your nervous system are being attacked there and doctors will, will take all the symptomology and begin to figure out if this is what is happening uh, the other big one of course is the image of the brain you can see these stripped nerves uh, where the immune system has attacked the myelin they're called plaques appear and that's a repair process we think so the body tries to repair the myelin but the, my, the new myelin laid down has a different sort of feature than the stuff that was there before. It's a bit like a scar. And these plaques, we think, one, re, one, one theory is anyway, it's scar tissue building up and you can image that with an MRI. And of course, everybody with the, the chance of MS will be imaged and they might see these plaques. And they can see where the plaques are and that will explain some of the symptoms. Because obviously, if you see a plaque in a certain part of the brain with a certain function, uh, that can be explained by, by that plaque. Now, uh, there's different types. There is relapsing remitting MS. 85% uh, of people have that to kick off. And what that means is you get an attack, that's the relapse, and then you get remission. It goes away for a while and then comes back again. And that's a real mystery. We don't know what causes remission. 
We don't even necessarily know what causes the first attack, but this is a clinical feature. And then most people can expect to have one or two exacerbations per year, and then it resolves a bit. But the problem is if it's left untreated, it can progress. And then some of those attacks get more frequent and the damage isn't getting fully repaired. And so some of the symptomology continues. The other type is called primary progressive MS. And that means from the very get-go, it's unrelenting. There's no remission. That's the much more serious type, obviously. And then relapsing remitting will eventually turn into progressive in several people after 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So it's a very troubling disease because young people are often diagnosed in their 20s and you have to say to them, look, we don't know what the prognosis is. Will it remit? Will it get worse? Uh, we don't know how long you've got, basically, kind of with normal function. And we don't really know what causes it either. And up to recently, there weren't that many treatments. But now, as I will explain, there are treatments, especially if you get in early. And it's of all the diseases, it's the one that's kind of shown a lot of progress in terms of therapeutic options if you're diagnosed early with MS. Now, as ever, if it's late and you're diagnosed, it's, it's a shame, of course. And often I get asked this because people with, say, progressive MS are going to wonder. And, and there's been less progress there, sadly, but lots of effort trying to understand it as I explain. Now, let's now get down to uh, what might be causing it, which is a key question. It's genetic. There's a big genetic uh, factor here, and it runs in families, basically. And lots of studies have confirmed this in various ways. Uh, early on, I'm talking like 50-odd years ago, if you're identical twins, if one twin gets it, there's a 30% chance of the other twin developing MS. If you're a sibling and just a brother or sister, there's only a 2.5% chance. Now, remember, identical twins have the exact same genes broadly speaking. Although someone, mind you, has requested me to do a thing on Netherlands, which, which I will come back to. But the truth is, that just tells us the genes must be important, but not determining. If it was 100% determining, both twins would get it. But still, the fact there's a 30% chance in one identical twin who has it, and, um, you know, and the other twin, 30% chance of getting MS, and it's only 2.5 in siblings, uh, then that tells us genetics must be important. And they've looked for these genes, and I'll give you some of the names, HLA-DR15, HLA-C554. <laughs> these, these are two of the immune genes that have been linked in. These are variants of what are called HLA genes, and they're very important immune genes, basically. We work on the HLA a lot. It's also called the MHC. These are genes that code for proteins that present bits of a bacteria or a virus. And lo and behold, they seem to be presenting bits of myelin. And the immune system is seeing the myelin as alien then, you know. And these variants may be better at doing that, although that hasn't really been proven. But up to as much as 60% of the genetic risk is in these HLA molecules. And of course, that was important when that was first discovered because that tells us it's an immune disease. If you see variants in immune genes uh, linking into risk of developing MS, then it must be an immune gene. It must be an immune disease. And then we know a lot about the immune uh, dysfunction. Uh, cells called TH17 cells are very important. And B cells are extremely important. Now, B cells, their normal job is to make antibodies to fight infection and lo and behold loads of B cells have been seen in MS and they're making antibodies now against your myelin and that flags the myelin as foreign and then you begin to attack your own myelin uh, there's also been stuff over the years on nutrition vitamin D it turns out to be very more common MS in the northern hemisphere I think it's because of less sunlight and people think vitamin D might be part of it. Although vitamin D doesn't necessarily make a difference to patients, it must be said. Um, and the late, latest discovery might explain this Northern Hemisphere Association. Uh, one interesting thing is if people emigrate and they leave the Northern Hemisphere before the age of 15, 
uh, and they end up, say, living in a place where there's low incidence of MS, they have a lower incidence of MS. If they leave after 15, they have the incidence from where they came from in the Northern Hemisphere. So something environmental must be happening there in that you're picking up something in the local environment after you're 15. Uh, and that's an interesting thing. And that gives rise to the big breakthrough because a virus, Epstein-Barr virus, has been shown to be a big risk factor for developing MS. And that was found in a US uh, study of the US military. They took where they take Everybody who joins the army, they take a sample very early on their DNA and then they follow them. And they could follow the ones who developed MS. And if they were Epstein-Barr virus positive, there was a 32-fold increased risk of developing MS. That's a, that's a really high risk. So Epstein-Barr virus, if you catch it, seems to give you a risk of developing MS. And they've even got a reason, they think, for this, that virus makes a protein called EBNA1, EBNA1, and guess what? It looks like a protein in myelin called glial cam, glial cell adhesion molecule. And this is called mimicry, molecular mimicry. So one reasonable hypothesis now is, pick up Epstein-Barr virus. Your immune system is slightly different because your genetics. And if you carry those certain HLA molecules, the virus begins to sort of make its proteins and you begin to get those into the immune system. And one of them looks a bit like a protein in myelin. And lo and behold, the antibodies to the virus cross-react, we call this, with your own myelin protein, and then that will trigger inflammation in the myelin. And that's not an unreasonable sort of molecular basis for why Epstein-Barr virus has been associated with MS, and it's called mimicry. So just through dumb luck in a way, that virus has a protein that you have yourself in your brain, and if you carry the wrong genetics, not what I mean wrong is types of immune molecules to help recognize that and present it, then you've got a risk of the immune system going off kilter and attacking your own myelin through attacking this glial cell adhesion molecule protein. And again, what this means very excitingly is, if this all holds up, and again, often this is a work in progress, and but at the moment, it, it's now considered to be almost, you know, uh, definitive at this stage. But yeah, we, need, we do still need more studies. Maybe vaccinate against Epstein-Barr virus in the whole population. That could increase the incidence of MS dramatically. Because you can imagine now, you're vaccinated, you get EBV, and the immune system clears it very quickly and doesn't allow the immune system to go off kilter to attack your own myelin. Because obviously, if you're not vaccinated, EBV can persist. And the chance of you then driving an immune response against your own myelin is increased. So there's talk of that. Again, it's early days with that. EBV is extremely common, actually. But again, it's not just EBV. You must have the right genetics to cause the thing to go off kilter. That's what gives you the risk of uh, developing MS. But still, that ABV discovery is really important. Now, the other thing is, um, uh, they do the, the B cells are very important, as I mentioned. And another diagnostic, actually, is called oligoclonal bands. You can take a cerebral spinal fluid sample, and you'll see lots of antibodies in that fluid in an MS patient. So we knew B cells were extremely important. Up to 80% have these antibodies in their fluid, uh, and that puts the B cell front and center. And that's extremely important important because a drug called ocrelizumab that will take out these B cells and stop them that is proving very useful for early MS patients and the latest studies are showing it'll decrease the number of relapses over the course of a year by two-thirds now that's a really interesting finding because if you don't treat with ocrelizumab there's a risk of relapses if you do you decrease the rate of relapses by two-thirds over the course of a year that's the trials have shown for example and that's a really important one and guess what it might also work in in progressive ms there was a 24 percent decrease in the emergence of 
this disability and more more problematic symptoms if people with progressive MS were given ocrelizumab as well. Now, when I talk to MS specialists, they're very excited about this because, and in fact, I was in a conference a couple of months ago and I met one of my big mates from Harvard and he said to me, this is this is the big change for MS. As soon as someone comes in now and they get diagnosed, they're given aquilizumab and you're decreasing the risk of relapses. And what that means is the damage then is slowed down and the prospect of ending up then with severe disease is lessened. And in fact, one study has shown that it will delay the need for someone ending up on a wheelchair, which is one metric of this, by seven years if you have progressive MS. Isn't that fantastic? So, so you're pushing it out the whole time. And as they tweak it and get it to work a bit better, that could be even better. And even though you're not curing the disease, you're just slowing it down by decreasing this relapse rate. And in the long run, that means less damage and less, um, less symptomology and less problems emerging. And if the EBV observation holds up, who knows? The vaccine might be another thing to use to decrease the risk of MS dramatically. Now, meanwhile, there are other drugs anyway. Interferon beta is one that works a bit. Uh, Fingolimod is another one. And one called dimethylfumarate, which my lab works on. All of those suppress the inflammatory process in the brain and the central nervous system and limit the damage caused by inflammation. And again, they show benefits and they're being used. And these are options as well. And one way forward, of course, could be combinations. Or maybe a patient will respond to one but not the other. And that can happen. There can be variation in responsiveness to meds. So at the moment, there's all this out there, which is great. That wasn't the case 20, 25, 30 years ago, where interferon beta was the first drug approved. Um, but, but still, it's fantastic progress to see all these different options. Now, lastly... Where did it come from? And why would it be common in the Northern Hemisphere? Well, literally, in the last week or so, they have tracked uh, where it might have come from. And they're using ancient DNA here. And incredibly, they got um, samples of DNA from cattle herders who were living in the steppe in Ukraine and Russia. Right, that's, it starts with that. And they were able to take uh, these samples from these ancient DNA people. Uh, in fact, they took um, 1,600 ancient Eurasian people's DNA and they looked at it very closely and guess what it carried the risk factors for MS and in particular HLA-DRB1 star 1501 to give it its full name now that is one of the HLA genes that increases your risk of developing MS so it looks like as if a population of cattle herders and people who had, were, were agricultural farmers I guess moved from those steppe into the rest of Europe and into northern Europe and they brought that risk with them and that could be why it's more common in the Northern Hemisphere. It may not be to do with vitamin D. It's more a genetic marker that came in from that population. Now, what you might be wondering what was going on there. And what they think is, these are people who were the first to domesticate animals, or at least it was at that time of domestication. And it looks like that HLA molecule protects against TB and possibly polio. Now, the reason for that isn't fully known. But you might have a situation where, uh, you know, they use that great phrase, the good Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away. The giveth here is if you carry that immune gene, you can mount an effective immune response against TB. And remember, TB jumped from domesticated animals into humans, probably back and forth a couple of times, actually, and maybe polio as well. Um, and you're protected from that, and that gene then persists in the population. The trouble is, it's an on switch for the immune system. And sadly, in some people, that on switch drives the immune system against myelin. And again, it's further evidence of the immune system being important. And this is extremely interesting because if that HLA gene is a key risk factor, why not target that in some way or learn more about what that's doing? Let's say, for instance, that's the one that's presenting the bit of Epstein-Barr virus. Could you stop that? 
and then that will stop the immune system going out of control and attacking myelin, the myelin protein. So again, this is seen in advance. At a minimum, it tells us probably the origins of MS were in these uh, farmers who brought it into Europe, I guess, and as a risk factor. Remember, it's all about risk factors. These things aren't definitive. And it's the combination of the genetics and something like EBV that then gives rise to your heightened risk of developing MS. Now, you can tell at this stage, I guess, uh, I could go on forever about this, but I won't. Great progress here. And of all the diseases that we've looked at, uh, MS certainly now a different landscape entirely from what it was like 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, more therapeutic options and for the future, the prospect of eliminating it or certainly decreasing it even more in, in our populations, which will be tremendous news given how debilitating and, and such a nasty disease it is. So again, a great example of medical research. Lots of people all over the world getting stuck in and finding out really important things about multiple sclerosis. And as I say, keep watching this one because the future in terms of treatments is looking better all the time. And that will extend into progressive MS as well and into other autoimmune diseases too. So it's part of that whole advance, I guess, in understanding the immune system in, 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 in these different diseases. So there you have it, the science of MS. And thanks as ever for listening. And of course, my podcast is available for download every Thursday and it's a News Talk production.